0: Perfectly Acceptable Podcast Uh, episode, doesn't matter, Jeff and Justin. Episode X. Episode X, that's very good. Um, Where Justin and I, we've squirreled ourselves away into a side room so that we can just kind of sit here and talk about the Hickman X-Men books as much as we want and not worry about encroaching on the time frames of a normal podcast. So for the sake of clarity, right now we're going to be recording this... um, powers of 10 number three has just come out which means we've got house of x1 powers of 10 number one house of x2 powers of 10 number two and powers of 10 number three are the five issues that have come out so far justin thank you for being here with oh, me god i i'm so glad that we decided to do this yeah week, I mean, weeks ago this was justin's idea actually
1: i have just wanted to like i haven't wanted to talk about a book so much i haven't loved a book so much in so long but i also am mindful like i come in wednesday piping hot on this hickman train you know feeding the the hickman fire the x-men fire and like i realized like probably not a lot of people in the store want to hear me talk about this as much as I want to talk about it. I had to call Jeff after one issue because like no one's giving me the cookie I want. Someone's got to think that this is as amazing as I do. So
0: And that's, that's also the thing is like well, I, it's been five weeks now. I can't just tell people, yep, that's the best thing in the world still because then All I'm right. just like, I feel like I'm just shouting this kind of ridiculous thing. Right. This exaggerated opinion at people. People got to like
1: walk in and be like, yeah, Jeff and Justin's favorite book is probably this. Like, yeah. Oh,
0: look at the staff pigs again. Yeah.
1: Another thing on the other side of that, I feel weird. It only being five weeks in me saying it's one of my favorite comics of all of time. all time. Yeah. Yeah. That like I've said that, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm a cartoon, like I'm a <laughs> fucking joke. So, so but nonetheless,
0: in in the, in the stead of like summarizing all of these issues, let's let's not do that. The, the first five are out. Um, we've talked about a number of them on the podcast. We're definitely going to be talking about what happens in them, but there's not going to be an intentional sort of trying to summarize them. But Justin, you've just said it's one of your favorite books of all time. I would agree. One of my favorite books of all time. That's a crazy thing to be able to say. Why are we saying that? It. Is so good. I, like... Aaron
1: had even brought up, like, I haven't heard you talk about a monthly comic like this in a very... Like, she's like, I can't remember, though. Like, she said Mr. Miracle, Grass Kings, was kind of like this. But she said, like, this reminds me of when we first met. And I was probably reading East to West and, like... Grant Morrison's, like, Batman
0: stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
1: just, like, she's never been around an ongoing book that I've been this obsessed with. Well,
0: it's been... A long time since I've had a series put five issues out that I'm this excited. Mr. Miracle is the closest. Right. That was, like, kind of a different journey, though. That was a little bit more of, like, an introspective, where is this going, trying to... Like, I don't know. It was... It's very different. I loved right. it in a different way. This is unequivocally one of my... I will be one of my favorite comics of all time almost halfway through it. Right. I can't quite pin down... like. I don't know the words to describe
1: the books that are like this to me, but I know it when I read it and feel it. Mm-hmm. And this is this is that kind of caliber of a book. Mr. Miracle is a different thing. I like it for different reasons, and I think it's very, very good. But this is like – I don't think this is Eisner winning sh- stuff, right? But yeah, in, in that, in that but weird But Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I don't think it's the kind of thing that Eisner Award people nominate, but right. I think that it is uh, – you know, the highest caliber big two book right. to come out in an ongoing capacity in, yeah. in years and years. Same. I Yeah, I don't know if it
1: is talking about things that books need to talk about to get a, nominated for awards, but I think it's one of the finest examples of comic booking. Like yeah. The art of comic book, booking, the craft of it is... And just storytelling, like, it is so imaginative, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. It's just, it's so creative and far-reaching, and just, like, his mind works in a way that only Hickman minds work. It's a good one, too. It's like, yeah, it's like reading, (laughs) what I imagine is, it feels like reading Alan Moore back when Alan Moore was a newer voice, when people, like, it was like, there's all these other voices that are distinct and unique but there's this one voice that's a little bit like louder and brighter than yeah when people first read alan moore it kind of changed the game a little bit and i feel like that's kind of what hickman feels like to me it's like that there's no one else that's doing what hickman's doing in comics
0: um what like before this had come out when he was describing the series he was saying that it's two six issue series that will come out alternatingly And each time you read an issue, it's going to change the way you view the issues before it and the way that you will read the subsequent ones. And that is really true. I actually, uh, I was so excited to do this. And and I know that you had read all these a lot. I, I sat down and read all of them in one go. Today, nice. which I ha- I had read each of them several times, but this is the first time I just went like block, like bam, and I looked like a crazy person. I had like the time tr- chart from House of X number two, like out, and I was comparing <laughs> all these things on it, um, and it's all internally consistent and, but I'm able to enjoy it. But um, issue one of Powers of Ten is very different now, having read Powers of Ten number three, uh, and. Yeah, so Powers of Ten number three is kind of the closing of the first act, right? And and a big, I guess he describes it as retcon happens at the end of of this issue. And so, what do you mean by? Like, so I was just, just oh, yeah. because it closes that future timeline. Well, so when there when there was the allegations of like plagiarism right which i i just ignored that whole thing but today for the sake of this i sought out what his response to it was and his response to it was so perfect right. he was just like oh bummer that that's coming out at all and then he was just like yeah i mean if it's plagiarizing anything it's plagiarizing this different book here and he just straight up says why like you know in that book that you're accusing me of plagiarizing which i did read in 2016 he made I a quote love, of yeah. yeah he's like you know Re- either the, uh, it's reincarnation, re- re, you know, doing the same lifespan, so I can understand that. But it's much more like this thing. So he kind of like threw himself under the bus with this other thing. Like, if you want to say that, you know, referencing an idea at all is plagiarism, then I'm more plagiarizing this thing. Right. And then he says, like, but ultimately. And what you had said, that he had said, was that idea of, like, this is just a mechanic. Like, this is just a a storytelling element uh, to get a thing done. And he described it as, that that storytelling element is just a mechanism to have the big retcon at the end of the first act make sense. Right. Um, And I think what that retcon is, or... Well, so the big mystery, cool thing that happens is, as you're reading Powers of Ten, one and 2, you're sort of thinking that the future of this House of X world that they're setting up... Mm-hmm. is this 100 year in the future, 1,000 year in the future. And that's actually the future of a different timeline. That's the future of Moira's ninth life. Right. And it, therefore is not a 1,000 and 100 years in the future of the House of X storyline they're setting up. Right. Which is just so fucking awesome. So,
1: and I wanted to ask you this, because this is the conclusion I came to after I read the most... Powers yeah, yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. Is Charles and Moira are conceiving of every possible fallout of what could take down Krakoa, right? And so they pl- they use this knife, lo- nine life to where Nimrod does come online, and f- are finding a strategy to beat Nimrod before it ever happens. So in case, like, they're plunging an alternate timeline, like. It, we thought it was this definite future. This is the end result of oh, their yeah. big success. The, the, the seeds planted in House of X number one. Right. And it's almost like that is just a backup plan because they know Nimrod's a huge threat. They know the machines are a huge threat. And yeah. it's almost like they did this life. Had her, the whole impetus of issue three is that we do find, in spoilers, we find out that Moira is alive in that world and... They're stealing some data of how to when Nimrod goes online. Yeah, um, so they're they're almost like going in an alternate future where everything is super bad, so they can figure out Nimrod's like operating system. Yeah, so is that a preventative measure? Because that's what
0: I that's my read on it. Is like, oh, Nimrod is going to be a huge threat because yeah. Nimrod always is. The yeah, so. And I love getting to talk to you about it because I don't have a definite idea of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and each issue has sort of changed my understanding of what's going on here. My current understanding is that, um, is that there's there's this historical inevitability. And it is that technology and artificial intelligence will rise regardless of what the mutants or Moira does. There are right. always going to be sentinels. which She kills all the Trasks and it still happens. Right. And, yeah, the ultimate threat of the mutants yeah, will always be machines. Right, and that's always going to happen. And Nimrod is the most extreme case of that. Right. And there wh- there hasn't really been specific origins for Nimrod, as far as I know. I think that he right. first appeared in Days of Future Past. Right. And then goes back in time. Or something. I was reading about that today. Um, but, But... We know that Nimrod is like a big threat to the media right. historically, right? Like yeah, we all And Nimrod so what we had in House of X when that mother mold is the satellite thing, mm-hmm. what they now like so so powers of ten is the story of them getting the data to send back in time. Right. And House of X is them like what they do with that data. Right. And uh So yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. Right, 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 I right, think right. That
1: it's like a contingency plan. They lived out this entire dismal, terrible future. Like, that's how committed Charles... That's just the big mind-blowing thing is, is Charles is so committed to this House of X plan that he's willing to live out this crazy future through Moira to prevent... To have kind of a contingency plan in case Nimrod comes online. And I I, I think that maybe...
0: it's It's... I think it's less... Moira and Charles, and more... This whole thing was sh- Moira and Apocalypse. Right. And, and... Um, but- it has a thing in here that, like, Moira and Apocalypse create this whole plan to do all of that. Um, right. But I feel like she was... Formerly planned to eliminate Nimrod. Because I think in every reality, Nimrod is sort of the absolute evil. Right. So, so now, this was all, yeah, to gather that information of when does Nimrod become online? Like, when is the seeds of that? And it is that Orcus thing from House of X number one. Right. So now they know what Orcus is, so they can take it down to hopefully end the inevitability uh-huh. of of all of that.
1: To remove machines as a threat, right? But when Charles and Magneto have that conversation, and Magneto's like, well, if I'm going to do this right. with you like you better be flawless and like you better not stay my hand if I need to do something which is so awesome which is so cool and Charles mm. says don't worry we have a plan yeah so I think Charles is like him and Moira have looked at all possible fallouts of how the mutants can get how they get extinct Yeah. so when they're doing whatever Charles and whatever Charles with his helmet on whatever House of X is I almost feel like Powers of X is just one of the ways it could have failed yeah, the, the events and powers of X with Apocalypse and stuff. So, they're like, they have this like
0: super big meta game, and I, yeah. So like, the House of X stuff happens in Life Ten, and the Apocalypse world was Life Nine. Right. So, so that that I think the whole Powers of Ten thing is all before Charles knows stuff. But aren't they getting the data for Charles?
1: Because they're trying to. Because they're like, go to the satellite and kill this thing. Because that's when we would believe that Nimrod goes online is from this,
0: right? in, in, in the House of X right. timeline, yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. talking
1: to Scott, yeah. And so I, I read that as, and I like this is just my speculative theory is like that insight that data that they have is from the Ninth Life.
0: Yeah, timeline. If for tr- and that's what happens at the end of this one is they get they keep Moira alive for long enough that they know everything about Nimrod. And then they kill her and send her back to the 10th life. And then in the 10th life, that's when she meets Charles. But here's the crazy thing. In the 10th life, she meets Charles at age 17. Mm-hmm. That moment where they go and talk to, Exa- or to Magneto, Right. that is... Oh gosh. 26 years after she meets Charles. Moira meets Xavier year 17 and then they go and recruit Magneto in year 43. So what? So and in that time what's crazy is that Moira, who is Mag- Moira Kendross, is her I scoured all of them. The only time her last name is ever mentioned is at the the born moment on the timeline. She becomes moira mctaggart at age 25 so seven years after she meets xavier which stands consistent because when they go talk to magneto he calls her moira mctaggart um so like they just did on this plan for 26 years so yeah they probably are envisioning every possibility so here's my crazy theory right um so we don't know anything about the sixth life and in the second timeline that we were given, in Power of number 3, there's this giant line that divides all of the timelines at this same point, and there's a squiggly line in where Life 6 is. Right. I think something to the effect of this chimera, Oh, the chimera that is... I'll have to edit out all this weird silence, but the chimera that is um, captured, not cardinal. Um, the black brain? Yeah, the black brain. Yeah. I think that she has some Moira McTaggart DNA in her, oh. and which is why she is still alive 1,000 years, and in like, it's interesting that they've kept this person alive for 1,000 years, kind of nearing the end of time. Right. And I think that something about They've taken the the mutant power that Moira had, maybe cloned her, and now when this one gets to the end of Year 1000, it'll get reincarnated right after the moment she was cloned from Moira, so Moira will still be alive, so then she'll be able to take information back. Like, right. Like that. Um, and that is bolstered by the fact that like these little data glyphs on the title pages and 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 all this business, it says... Um, the title, This Is What You Do. And then it says, End 09. So at the first page of this, it says, here's th- it's the illusion that we're in some sort of database. And right. this is chronicling the ninth life. And even at the first page, it's saying, this is how the ninth life ends, end of 09. And at the end of that timeline, it still it shows Moira X... And then 06, so like there's the larger brackets of saying underscore 06, right? Which to me says that like maybe somehow all of this is still existing within the tenth life or, or the sixth life, right? So like maybe they, they cloned sixth life and then like went to a different timeline and that one hasn't looped back yet because there's like a right like a tributary. That was what I was thinking today. Yeah, I... which is all that to say. Like I still don't know what is going well, on. Well, I
1: didn't put together the idea that the black brain. Could be Moira, but I was like, "Why did they keep?" They they told us Nimrod said we're gonna like delete, yeah, like the essence of who you ever were, right? But then we see a panel later; she's still alive in
0: that stasis tank. slowly. And it said because at that same time he says like it could take a couple of days, but it could take a couple of years to right. break her down into the sort of gen- genetic data goo, and it still hasn't happened over a thousand years. But it just to me, it feels like why. Would they include the fact that in the 100 years in the future, there's also this thing that is now still alive a 1,000 years in the future that we don't quite know who they are? Right. Another interesting thing I found on this read-through was that that Magneto, green suit Magneto... Is Pulsar... Yeah, Polaris. Yeah, Polaris. And uh, um, Emma Frost. Right. Genetics, but it's got a Magneto costume because... It's the, the son of the daughter of Magneto. Right. So I was thinking it was Magneto, but it's not. Right. Yeah. And Polaris has a very similar power set, so
1: it's like a male Polaris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very um, cool.
0: But yeah, the um, Silo Bell is th- that one. Oh, um, right. And and she's a product of... They were the mutant, mutant run... Pits, like genetic cloning right. pits. But there was also then one going on on Earth run by the machines. Right. And those are the hounds. So there was two fake mutants being produced, some by mutants sinister. And right. then, yeah, by... What's his name? Uh, Nimrod. And there's this- I'm just trying to, like throw like wh- what do you know what are the pieces that i know let's throw all this stuff yeah. on the because i don't know but we got to get all these data points the, onto a table the house so we of can x puzzle yeah
1: these are the silo Psy- is part of the breed that is genetically predisposed to betray people right do we think that that gene comes from moira and she's going to portray Charles, because isn't she historically a pro- like? They have a often. I thought they were old lovers. They're not. They're not. No, they're like she was married to whoever in one of her alternate life. She's married to someone, yeah. And who has that other villain as a son, Proteus? Right.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: That's historically who she was. Roman was like, oh yeah, it's Charles's old flame. But then we looked up Charles's list of girlfriends Charles had in history, and Moira's not on there. Interesting. So. I wonder, and they've had an off again, on again, whatever their relationship is. I wonder if...
0: No, that's a really smart idea, because in here it does say that the betrayal happened, Uh, and it, there you go, as specifically but as vaguely as um, it was basically a bad seed. Like, there was a, a corrupted, you know, stock data thing. And I think that Moira is something... like. I, there's a lack of full, wholehearted trust with Moira, right? Funny. For sure. Same here. And I,
1: where is? Yeah, that? she. I mean, she sides with Apocalypse, and she she's coming back to Charles, and she's almost like using Charles, because she, you know, I mean, obviously, you would have a pretty distorted view of reality if you have all these lives and stuff. Right. But like, I feel like the betrayal gene. If if we. If your theory, your data point is correct in that Silo Bell is has some remnant of Moira or just the the power, just right. the mutant power to reincarnate. Right, but I wonder if seated in that is right. the betrayal. Cause. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And I can't find that fucking thing. Oh, okay. Well, here's another question. Yeah. And I
1: guess I would like to extend this to everyone in the store. What is House of X? Like what is what do we know what they're doing? Like they've suc- they've seceded from the world. Yeah. They have made an offer of these three miracle drugs, as like a please don't fuck with us. Yeah,
0: here's a bribe. Leave us alone. Right. We'll Why
1: you. incorporate Magneto? Just so Magneto wouldn't betray them, obviously. But what is their ultimate end game? Just to live in peace on this perfect island? Why have portals? You know, like yeah. I'm trying to. What is their goal? You
0: know, are they trying to prevent, like, are they going to try to kill off
1: all machines?
0: Are they trying to prevent the ascension? I think that what Moira's, like, number of lives has confirmed is that machines always kill them. Right. And um, whether it was from Days of Future Past, which was her third life, or whether it was, like, life five where she and Charles make the perfect city that the Sentinels come and right. dist- yeah, it was five. Cause then six is a mystery. And seven is when she hunts them all down. And then they still come online and kill her. So I think that they are saying that like, you know, Nimrod is right. You know, yeah. To quote DC. <laughs> um, and they have to end that. So it's, it seems like a combination of doing the thing where they're having a village that is their own or a continent that is their own, while also hoping to seed off, like to, you know, to to head off this technology thing. Ultimately, make a reality where Nimrod doesn't come online. That's my right. My v- assumption right now, but it does like we don't have the the pieces. You're exactly right. That's a great point. We don't know what, what the intentions are.
1: Yeah, we know that they're. And Charles is not. I don't go as far as to say it's not Charles. Like, some people say it's secretly the maker. You've, I've seen that theory online. Right. I think that it is some form of Charles, you know, like another version of Charles or something. But he is acting more radical than Charles historically is active, from my understanding.
0: Definitely. And... What I think is further interesting there is they are labeling this house of X ex- okay, so you know how there's year zero, year one, year ten or no year ten, year one thousand? 100, I don't think that those are literal time measurements. Right. Because when Moira and Charles go to talk to Magneto on the island, it still says year one, but it's been twenty six years. Right. In that moment. So I think that like those are actually kind of more uh exemplifying an epoch, like the basic, then the year 10 is like the starting of the House of X. Right. Year 100. So, I actually, I think the timelines, like the years itself, do you are think, probably pretty loose. Do you think it's the birth date of the conception of the House of
1: X? Like that year one is the, when they first came up with it. When they first met, that would have been like the birth of the idea. Right. And then year 10, they
0: would have gotten Magneto on it. Like it. Yeah, but I think that year 10 they have labeled as. Oh, God. I'm just juggling all these comics around. Um, year 10 is example. Oh, yeah, is the House of X start? Like, that's right. when they've got the helmet and he shows up. So it's been. 20 So year 52. Years. So 52 minus 27, 37, 40. It's been 35 years at, until year one st- or year 10 starts. Right. Um,. So, the, yeah,
1: they have to be kind of epochs rather than literal years. But
0: I was, like, going through it thinking, like, oh, this is the mistake Hickman made. Like, these don't make yeah. sense. Like, but also, but it's not true. But also, j- that also mistake just comes from me trying to assume that I know at any point which timeline that we're in. Right. And th- that's the big thing is that we don't know what timelines we're in, right? Right. Like, year... We assume that we're in
1: 10 sometimes,
0: right? Yeah, And and... And I'm pretty, yeah, because it does say, like, House of X starts in year 52 of Life 10. Right. And.
1: And they've never tried House of X before, right? No. Okay.
0: And they also, Jonathan Hickman went so far when House of X number two came out to make sure and distinguish that year 49 and year 50's info thing, it says year 49, genocide of Genosha, year 50, Moira fakes death. He said that those were backwards. Okay. And he said that's backwards because we all know that she fakes her death in Uncanny X-Men issue blank. And then the genocide happens in an issue after that. Oh, okay. So that says that the comic continuity that we know and understand is life 10 for him to have said that these dates are contingent right. on these issues to have come out. So, like, I was thinking that life 5 or life 4 was our reality because it shows the, like, Avengers vs. X-Men, when they all have the phoenix, and it shows right. the of future past at the end. Um But I think that was just sort of an inclusion for, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We all know this continuity. Right. I think the assumption is that we're all in 10. But here's the other thing. Year 5, year 43 of year 5, Moira is injured in a sentinel attack, and she goes into a coma for a full year. And then there's the genocide. So that's the one where they start that commune group. Right. And then in this last one that just came out, that same period is don- denoted by her having a concussion or being in a coma there. Mm-hmm. I think something significant happens there. Right. These dot, dot, dot lines seem to indicate that I'm going to fill it in, right? Like, right. Because then he did fill it in. And, and then
1: this looks did. like a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, it does. It's like a heartbeat thing. A beep. beep. Yeah. Um, Heart monitor thing. So I don't know... I don't know. I like yeah. it, It's just, but it all, each issue we get, it, I get more excited about like understanding a, a bigger, different thing. But it makes me realize I didn't know anything the issue beforehand. Right. And it's interesting that you said
1: that he like said each issue reframes everything because that's literally like the ascension thing I thought was just kind of vague doom thing. And uh-huh. then he has this crazy farce like trying to skip. Not just human, machine, mutant evolution, but, like, these species of even higher consciousness. Yeah. Like, we're dealing with, like, beings that lifetimes are entire galaxies, right? Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: In that that world mind description that he puts out about, like, the, you know, the the hierarchy of intelligence and sophistication of living things. But, yeah, I think the, the world mind, or even the intelligence, which is the third level, um... Or maybe it's the fourth one, but it's they're saying that like their time is gal- galaxies and life-like, right. and you know, so lifetime. the
1: machines in year one thousand are playing a different game than even the humans and mutants are playing. Right, right, like, right. And we don't even know what,
0: yeah, what's well, really
1: going on in that time frame. I feel like they are manipulating that technarch thing, yeah, so they can skip ahead a step in evolution. So they can, and I think they want to become the ultimate intelligence of the universe. And so they're being they're being assimilated by this higher con because what that higher consciousness does is if you're worthy, if you're like good enough resources, it will assimilate you. Brings you into the Phalanx, right? And I think they're trying to take control of the Phalanx. I think so too. And be this dominant super being, and thus be kind of spread the machine empire everywhere. And so what they're doing is they're fo- the ascension is them forcing it to take on to assimilate it. And that's why you see in that one glyph, like, them skipping a step in the. And if you read the evolutionary chain, there's a big. It's the next top. Yeah, 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 right here. Uh, or sorry, oh, yeah, yeah. They're trying to use this thing to skip this phase so they can go straight to, like, taking over
0: everything. I think that they already achieved that, and that's what it, it says Nimbus achieved world mind status 10 years after impact. Right. Is and, World Mind the highest? No, it's below Phalanx. Oh, okay. I interpreted that line as, as to say that these things are intrinsically related because this thing goes out and makes other things that. Okay. Like it yeah. recruits them. But I absolutely agree that I think that they're trying to, like, once they get brought into the thing, they'll corrupt the overall data. Right.
1: And, and that's what that little Nimrod wants. Yeah. Nimrod.
0: The greater? The greater, Yeah. yeah. Okay, Eric, thanks for being here. I uh, This is a bad recording situation with a bad recording device because it's Django's. Uh, <laughs> Eric, uh, I got a question on our podcast yeah. about some seminal X-Men runs to read uh, for people who are maybe getting hyped on this Hickman stuff. Uh, wow. and, and my first immediate thought was Eric Cranebrink knows more about X-Men continuity and history than anyone I know. Hmm. What are a couple... X-Men runs that aren't like the obvious Dark Phoenix that you would recommend people read just maybe as big moments of the, the X-Men history or some of your favorite stories? What what do you think? I feel like you, you've done it all. We've talked about you at length on the podcast before as well, Eric, so I hope Oops. you're flattered.
2: I am. Um, probably the, f- the three that come to mind is obviously Mutant Massacre, which surprisingly enough involves not only all the x titles at the time which i think there was like three new mutants x factor and uncanny x-men it also involved thor good and power pack as you do (laughs) and what was mutant massacre about it was basically mr sinister decided you know what I'm going to go off and I'm going to kill all the Morlocks, which were introduced back in Uncanny 167. So he waited about 40 issues before he said, you know what, these guys suck. Let's kill them all. (laughs) And they did. And then it isn't until... They keep mentioning throughout every once in a while, Mr. Sinister, Mr. Sinister. Well, he doesn't actually show up until after the massacre in... On x-men 221 but still a lot of bad shit happens and i'm like because that's when i was a teenager just i knew about the x-men because of you know such issues as 121 first appearance of alpha flight and, if, and a lot of other issues too during the brood war and so you pick up 210 and in introduction introduces the marauders a little bit and then you jump into 211 where all my favorite characters all three of them colossus nightcrawler and shadowcat cat get messed up i okay. mean they just marauders say hey you know what you guys are pretty cool but you know what we're gonna take you we're just gonna fuck you up for a while
0: <laughs> okay so mutant massacre what's the yes. second one
2: Um, that would be Alarm, um, involves a few more titles, but the Messiah Complex.
0: Okay, Messiah Complex. I have not read that one either.
2: That was coming out right about the same time as the Sinestro Corps War. Oh. When, uh, Johns decided, you know what, let's really make Green Lantern kick ass. So that was pretty
0: recently. Well, I mean, within the last 15 years.
2: Within the last 15 years. And... It, both DC and Marvel, in my opinion, that's how you do a crossover because it involved just – it was a really big story, but it involved Uncanny X-Men, New X-Men, which was a team group at the time. Like
0: X-Force. X-Force. In X-Force the, yeah, they yeah.
2: introduced X-Force and x Peter David's X-Factor, and all of them, the whole story just from start to finish just –
0: Okay, and now that we've got a bunch of people coming in the store, what's the third run?
2: Although I'm not the... I'm a fan of it, but not the biggest fan. Grant Morrison's run on X-Men. He introduced a lot of new characters that just stuck.
0: Phantom X, I'm looking at you.
2: Phantom X. Kid Omega. Kid Omega, that's the one... That he was able to, that Marvel Universe has got the most mileage of. Yeah. Because Kid Omega showed up in, of course, the new X Men run from Morrison. He also showed up in West Coast Avengers, which was hilarious. Yeah, which was hilarious if nobody ever read that.
0: Eric. Thank you so much for doing this. Let me thank you for letting me put you on the spot. This is the guy who everyone has heard is, is responsible for me working here. So thanks, Eric. You rule. Um, and uh, no I don't know. we we'll, I'll toss this on at the end of the next episode of uh, the podcast.
2: Looking forward to. Thanks, it. Thanks,
0: buddy. Yeah. Dino. Thank you for being here with me on the Perfectly Acceptable podcast. Uh, you are welcome, Jeff. Sequestered in the back of the comic shop. With a
3: minotaur. With a minotaur, exactly. That that's That has gonna, nipples pierced.
0: Yeah, that's going to not make sense to anybody <laughs> on on here. But um, we do have a new minotaur poster by the bathrooms. Okay, so Dino, we got a question from a listener, and I've been waiting to talk to... A couple people who I consider to be X-Men experts. Uh-oh. Expert pun. Um, and since you're no no stranger to this podcast, um, I wanted to ask you, because you're one of the two most knowledgeable X-Men people I know. Josh McCormick wrote in and asked, um, what are some, like three, overlooked or not super talked about X-Men runs that you think are important or should be read or should be like looked at um, more? Like, you know, just... The whole Hickman X-Men run has been awesome. We're loving it. So, as an X-Men veteran... A vexter... Anyway. uh, As as an um, ex-veteran... Vexteran. What are... Impart some knowledge. What are a couple runs, a couple stories that you think everyone should read if they want to know more about the X-Men? Okay.
3: Um... I don't know if it counts as X-Men, but it's an X-Men spinoff. I like it. The Kyle and Yost X-Force series, I think it's like 27, 28 issues worth back in the mid-2000s with X-23, Domino, and Wolverine all on the team. I know that that one has a paperback called Sex and Violence. Yeah, that's a three-issue mini that's kind of a spin-off of the spin-off.
0: So, always has interested me, but I have not read it. So, the Kyle and Yost X-Force run.
3: Yeah, I like that one a lot. Of course, as you guys know, I'm partial to X-23, so... <laughs> and Domino, and Logan. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's, it's It a- was win-win-win for yeah. me. Everybody else may hate it, I don't know. It's got um, cool art, too. Yeah. Uh, if you want, like, 90s fun, the Onslaught crossover oh. is insane. And it even brings in like Captain America and a bunch of the Avengers and stuff like that because they actually need like the quote unquote non mutant heroes to help them out towards the end of that. Man, Onslaught it's a massive crossover though. So
0: fascinated me as a kid, but I could never find the issues or got to
3: read it. But I think there's a trade that has most of the stuff. What happened with that? Like Magneto and Charles's consciousness. Yeah, tell me what. Tell me what that was. So basically. You have Magneto, and somehow Charles amalgamed into this big, giant Magneto-looking Magneto thing, <laughs> yeah. which was Onslaught. Cool, cool character design. Yeah. Okay. Um
0: Onslaught? Yeah, so if you want
3: your 90s craziness, that that's we, a fun one. We
0: like our 90s. We like our 90s.
3: And then number three. Three of three. Uh, I love the... Generation X run from the 90s that Scott Lobdell and Chris Bachalo, is that how you say it? Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, like, that, I don't know. that guy. They created, it's, it's really fun because you see Emma Frost actually kind of nice-ish mm-hmm. and then uh, Banshee, Sean Cassidy, they're, they're the two like founders of the school and then you have Jubilee and a bunch of newer mutants at least at the time.
0: Okay. Um,
3: that one's kind of fun and that one went on forever. Like, I think it was like 70 yeah, no, it's so. super, super long Yeah. Okay, so you're a big um, fan of that one Yeah, but okay. I do like Jubilee a lot
0: So. Well, I, I know that you're partial to Jubilee as well Yeah. Okay, so X-Force, Generation X And the Onslaught arc are three X-Men stories That you enjoy a lot and you think that people Who want to discover more about the X-Men should check out Yeah, they're just kind of fun Yeah, Dino, you rule, thanks so much for being on the podcast It
3: was my pleasure <laughs>
0: Thanks, buddy <laughs> Yeah, I, I the first time in reading uh, Powers of X number two, this d- double page spread about the Nimbus takes place right when we reveal that Apocalypse is around, right. and then it goes to the year one thousand crew. And I thought that this was year one hundred crew, but right. in reading it today, I was like, oh no, this is year one thousand crew. And this whole
1: thing is crazy. Too. Yeah, and it it's brilliant. T-
0: yeah, it totally makes sense. I almost think that the two infographics could have been switched, and that would have maybe helped because you're if you could learn what world mind status and intelligence of Phalanx was, it might help the clarity of understanding that Year One Thousand crew made a supreme intelligence right that then went out and turned an ice giant into a world mind, and then that recruited the Phalanx. Yeah, it's.
1: Yeah, they are using that ice giant as a way to seed, again, that, like, fitting as much data into a small space because they're trying to raise the intelligence of this, like, global consciousness, which makes me feel like Moira is important. Like, if we're trying to get as much intelligence into a small object, Mm -hmm. be it planet, entire race, Moira can fit infinite amount of lives in it and become infinitely more intelligent based off how many times she dies if is there a way to actually kill her? Yeah. To kill her before she's twelve. Right. Because before the gene goes Yeah, exactly. So assuming she never dies before she's twelve, she could kind of become unlimitedly intelligent. So I feel like Moira is kind of the key to the ascension. Like it's a way to infinitely store data because they're trying to raise, like, the general collective consciousness intelligence to a certain level. So, Phalanx is, yeah. like, interested in them. Right, 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 Because, apparently, like, Phalanx only takes on things that's worth the right. assimilation of data. Right. So, I feel like Moira is... And maybe th- she's the black brain in this future. Like, that's a yeah. clone of her. Or, like... Th- yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Another thing that occurred to me in... It was cool to read them all just once in really a run. Want to do that um, as well. And one thing that became clear is the metaphor comes up over and over again um, the idea of a thing being blind to things that it is the same as. So uh, in the first issue, the black Krakoan seed is the one that creates a space that Krakoa doesn't know is there. Right. Um, the Technarch. Works for the phalanx, but doesn't realize it's a part of the phalanx. And doesn't know of other technos. Right. And um Silo Bell, I think it was either Silo Bell or the one who died immediately. Percival. Percival. Uh Has the ability to make them, like mutants, be blind to other mutants. Right. And then Moira McTaggart herself, because, like, when Destiny's trying to read her, she's like, you're just a black hole. Like, you're... Yeah. You're... A blind space that I can't see because you are limited. Like, it, it was just weird enough to have like five instances that's where, yeah, there's like are the, mutant and
1: machine the same thing?
0: Yeah, or or what? Yeah, or, or the idea of just like, what does it mean? to Like, what is is sophistication involved? Like to be able to be unrecognizable from oneself, or is there an advantage to to be blind? I don't know. There was right. a just or maybe a, that's the
1: the kind of error in it all is you. Become intelligent enough that you stop recognizing other forms of intelligence. That is why mutants and humans can never get along. That's why machine mutant and human like you can't see that each other are fundamentally the same right being, You know. Yeah, like I just,
0: I'm excited to see what what how that
1: you know take takes light of for sure. Poor humans, man. Like we're looking at all these lives, and it's like, okay, well, mutants get fucked by the machines, but. Like, mutants are way better off than humans. Like, humans, like, are these yeah. pitiful, like, little creatures on this huge scale. Like, it seems like mutants are tiny compared to this overall plan of the machines. Mm-hmm. And they're the biggest threat that the machines have. Like, the machines want to wipe out the mutants. Right and humans are just such a pathetic thing that like oh we'll
0: use them whatever like and then this new issue like i love that there's the church of ascension which is basically humans worship the machine and they view machine as god and they're trying to introduce technology into their bodies to just be a part of them right like that's what we the the crew blows up on is that church of ascension stuff and Yeah, they're exactly, like you said, they're pitiful.
1: Yeah, I just, like, I was thinking, you know, some people say that Jonathan Hickman's kind of nihilistic, and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess he is, because, fuck, like, in this book, the opinion and view of humans are very, very, very low. Like, they don't have much of a, and, and, you know, we're rooting for the mutants in this context over the machines. Right. And Hickman, all of his, his body of work seeing it as one coherent thing is utilizes technology a lot like it's a very high tech he's a very science fiction. i've never got such a anti-technology like vibe from his other work this like it feels like philip k dick like the machines are this like ultimate inevitable thing that destroys all and takes over all and i as a guy who is kind of a weird paranoid person about ai and like I don't like how much I rely on technology and think that there are organic parts of humanity that can never be replaced by machine and that technology is ultimately a deviation of evolution mm-hmm. not right not the, the next step, of actual, yeah, or, yeah. yeah and I feel like we're seeing two pair like mutanthood or they're the competing survival of the fittest for the next evolution of this galactic consciousness like it can either come from mutant hood or machine hood and right now machine hood's winning because they're like ruthless as fuck right but i don't know i've never gotten such an anti-technology vibe and there's a part of me that kind of gets a a sick
0: satisfaction like yeah fuck yeah fuck the machines no i'm i'm with it and i do totally agree like i he's such a techno sci-fi writer but i also would agree that yeah, not he is a kind of nihilistic writer, um, but like Manhattan Projects and um, Pax Romana are both kind of stories where like technology didn't necessarily wasn't good. Like right. we went back in time to fix a thing and it made just everything worse. And it, like, right?
1: I'm just trying to think of like, I guess I in my mind he was a pro technology guy, mm-hmm. kind of like Warren Ellis's, mm-hmm. like is very into what technology can do for us. But maybe I've just missed, maybe he's blatantly like anti-technology and I've just never noticed because this book to me feels very like relish in the real. Like the most important parts of this are the conversation between Charles and Moira. Right. It exists in the human domain or I guess the mutant domain, but in like personal interaction. And he says that this is going to become a more character centric book. Mm -hmm. And kind of the ultimate evil of this book is not only technology but like technology unchecked yeah like allowing it to take on you know it almost feels like a big red like it almost feels like a very if we were to bring it into the political realm it almost feels like a anti-ai manifesto like
0: no and i agree i and and i i yeah i think that it's his right his work is all very sort of techno on the outside so i think it it does maybe feel pro-techno looking at like east of west feels like i think you know but again that's a techno apocalypse exactly exactly yeah he's just
1: got a very like high-tech looking aesthetic and his writing is so cerebral that it feels machine-like at some points like he you know he's this calculating super architect right um that sometimes i think that like maybe he's just very into machinehood and writing but you know now reading this book i'm like the most powerful thing that we rely on is I guess us as mutants. Cause that's who we're kind of empathetically supposed to want to be and want to root for mm-hmm. their biggest strength is an organic thing. It's this living Island right. in this like living technology versus this. Yeah. Like plant technology versus machine technology. Right. right. right? And yeah, so, yeah.
0: and what, yeah. One's based on intervention. Whereas the other is sort of the natural, right? But yeah. I guess natural is, so, what are some of your other favorite things in these books? One thing I noticed with Powers of Ten number three is that, just a small not story stuff, but the art artist, I think what he's doing is he's taking ink on his fingerprints or thumbprints right. and putting them onto a screen and then digitally blowing them up and then using that as shading, which I think is really cool.
1: Me too. I noticed it specifically with Wolverine yeah. and then went and looked back like, I've, I've seen fingerprint techniques before, but like this Sean Murphy
0: does it a lot. But right. Sort of like digitally extracted and then blown up.
1: Right. It's such a cool texturing
0: effect. Yeah. And now I'm wondering if maybe he's using it right there because Wolverine had his shit wrecked and his skin is recovering. Right. Maybe, but yeah. He, he I, got sorry. Blowed up. Yeah, I love. I love that Cipher in House of X number one had like sort of created this relationship with Krakoa, right? And then Krakoa became Cipher, right? And now Cipher is dead, but the body lives on as Krakoa. So he's the like I, I really like That's... that. And and interestingly connected to that is that this Krakoa is, you know, from Life Ten or sorry Life Nine. Life ten is the reality where they're taking the seeds and creating the gateways and everything. So right. it's it's actually like not the same being, but it was a really easy logical assumption to sort of think that he is the uh, the lived out version of the island as a, as a person. You know, but in fact they're they're parallel things.
1: Right? Yeah, I just assumed that he was like a a seed of the island. Like right. he, you know, he is from that direct island, right. but it's a different life. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I really like. I've never seen a book with further reaching, like, implications as far as, like, how this... I've never seen a scope on this level, like... Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of very long comic book runs with an ending and a beginning in mind. And, uh, you know, like, there are many terrific comic book runs where, you know, when you read the last issue, you see that it was seeded pretty early on. But I've never been able to watch it happen. I'm like, holy fuck, this guy can write a thousand issues from this. There's so much going on. Right. And there are so many creative ideas that are just throwaways, or maybe not, because he's a super intentional, meticulous writer. Like, the idea that you would take a planet and seed it full of technology and send it through space, <laughs> and then it starts assimilating other planets to become this bigger, massive mass... like. That is a Grant Morrison level idea, and it's just like one thing to get us to another
0: thing. Like that's what a story would be based upon if it were a different writer. This right. is just a small part,
1: right? Another like he. I've never seen him use such cre—just like just straight up imaginative ideas, like living planet seed technology. You know, like it's it's really imaginative, and I love some of the character concepts. Like some of the character designs are so yeah. fucking cool. Uh, like Rasputin and Cardinal and just all those characters, how he, how he, and it, I, it made me realize reading this most recent Powers of X that those characters might not come back because that life is gone. Right. Like I was like, fuck, I'm really attached to these characters because that Powers of X it was an X Men book that was not using the cast of familiar characters that everyone has pre established relationships with. Uh-huh. So I could kind of
0: attach myself to this new set of mutants as my mutants as a new fan. But so check this out. The thing that they broke into Nimrod's building and stole was just a directory. It it was like a catalog of every mutant that's existed. And they take that and they send that back in time. So theoretically, I think that's kind of how we got like Cyclops and all these mutants that are dead... I think that there's something about going back and having a direct like, being able to clone or recreate Well, and that's, we see Charles saying, why is my memes? Right. Rise, mean, right. right. So, all that to say, maybe, since we're st- stealing a future directory where those mutants existed before it, maybe right. they could be cloned or created from it in these times. Because okay. I was thinking the same thing, like, these books are going to end, and I think that the ultimate ending of this is going to be kind of like Terminator, where, like... There was a future, and now we've prevented that future, and the future is our own. Right. And I think that that's going to kind of be the the full scope of this, is now we can start an X-Men story that we've averted this reality, and it's all ours, and hopefully right. there's going to be it. But I just cut you off, sorry.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I think that that is ultimately kind of what he's doing, is cleaning up continuity and creating a continuity where he can play in it and not be tethered to every other X-Men story. I also feel like the ongoing this is going to somehow create some ultimate bad guy that we've never yeah. seen before too. Um, I
0: know. Cause we're only just over a third of the way through it. Right. Five of 12. Like, yeah. And I, w- my crazy guy theory is
1: that all of these are clones in, on the house of X time that mm. e- maybe even Charles is a clone from that directory. Like I, cause he's not acting exactly like Charles. Sure. Like, And there's a very Guardian Garden of Eden, like, Rise, My Children thing. I, like, feel like maybe what we perceive as Charles trying to start a new Genesis is, like, completely new. Like, these are redoing mutant kind. Right. Then, so we're getting a new Scott. We're getting a new Jean Grey. We're getting these completely reborn beings um, kind of made ex-Nylano. Right. Rather than dealing with the history, and that's why Charles is... He's Charles minus what would have prevented Charles in the past to do what he needed to do, you know. he's a, you know he's, like he's a little, seen those lives. Right, then, and know. he's a little more ruthless than... Right. Like, the, Charles, letting go of his empathy is scarier than Magneto. Like, yeah. Charles, he... I don't know. Magneto's like... I've always thought of just Charles... Had Charles had a worse life. But, like, if this Charles, if you take away the things that keep him human, he's even scarier than Magneto. Because yeah. Magneto and And his powers allow him to be scarier, too. Right. Magneto ultimately, like, he's a terrible person, and he does terrible shit, but it's from a weird, broken, empathetic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, he's trying to protect his people because he went through, like, the worst hell ever. You right. Know? Like, Magneto could never be Apocalypse because he does care about Mutant. He does care about something, and now Charles is, like, this... Incredibly powerful mind that is kind of blinded by his own shit, and that's.
0: And I like how in the Moira Life issue, House of X two, she basically identifies that right off the bat as like, yeah, he's really self righteous and egotistical, and has a bit of a god complex, right? And, and that's then, the scariest, right? And she says that, once she was able to get below the surface of that, he's wonderful. But like, yeah, there's he's he's always been a creep. Like, right. He's always been a kind of a creep,
1: right? And a manipulator, you know.
0: I love. The inclusion of Apocalypse, like I love, I right. love that character, but I have never, I don't have any comic books where they're that awesome. It's just like the cartoon show and everything. And, and to make him this timeless, unstoppable evolutionary force, he is the he's the Vandal Savage of the Marvel Universe. He is. Uh, yeah, I really like that. And I liked sort of him falling on the side of evolution and uh, and mutants. Yeah, God, the the beginning of Powers of Ten number two. Oh, maybe there's a great apocalypse quote from somewhere and he's clearly talking to moira and it says like if you can withstand these trials then i will be able to make you eternal and it's clearly like the dialogue from life nine of him turning her into an apocalypse person
1: right i what is terrifying to me is like so apocalypse he's like magneto not tethered to humankind at all like he just wants to kind of bring mutant hood into utopia yeah the next
0: usher in the next right like he just does
1: not see where magneto just wants to protect and save and kind of bolster his like Mag apocalypse just has no connection to the world right he's just this evil he he's a machine like almost like that's a pretty scary thing but the machines are even more like to see may uh sorry apocalypse have to like band together with these creatures that he thinks are Below him, right against the machine shows how terrifying Nimrod is. Like that, mid- Apocalypse has had to like pull his resources to fight this thing. Right, it's a a good way to bolster this overarching fear, cosmic fear of machinehood and AI by getting you know Apocalypse is kind of the big bad of the X Men universe. Yeah, and yeah. to have him kind of scramble to and be fight, siding with them. Yeah, 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 is like. Man.
0: It's House of X number two that they put that quote of if you can find it in you to survive, if you are worthy, then I will make you into something more than them. And like, that's very early in these five issues to be seeding the like, the link between Moira and Apocalypse and her elevating to an Apocalypse being and becoming right. a horseman. Like, there's no way that you could know the basis for this quote as you're reading it or even after you finish this issue. And to include that there is, is very cool. Also, this it makes a lot of sense to have had powers of ten, number two, and three come out back to back. Uh, to me, in reading it this time, it, it became clear that House of X number three, it, you're, you're going to need to know that this year 100, year 1000 future is life nine of Moira right. and not the extension of the first reality. But I do think he needed to set that up for several issues and have us live in that before we were sort of taken from it. It's a It's a great creative storytelling thing to do to be like well i want to tell my own story but i have to play with everyone else's toys so what i'm going to do is i'm going to create a, a future timeline so i can do anything i want with any of those and i'm going to destroy it at the end so right people are going to be invested but i can do whatever i want with it and it, it gives stakes in an industry that historically d- kind of removes the, the magnitude of stakes
1: right you i mean you can always see beyond the veil of the stakes that are given. And now like he's collapsed the stakes that we would have, like our illusionary, like, Oh, but all of our characters have always been like, like, no, that's just another life that can be (laughs) thrown away. right? You know? And yeah, as far as like technical, like man behind the scenes, scheming, like mechanics of story. It's also really brilliant the way he's like, just from like almost a marketing standpoint, like, Remaking this continuity mm-hmm. and redoing this and giving himself with all because I mean, I was texting Colette like, man, I really want to go read X-Men, but I don't know what's worth it. You don't have to anymore at right. this point. like he's boiled it down to its essentials, gave you the things that are familiar enough to, oh, yes, days of futures past happened. This thing happened, but also here's this whole new kind of era we can live in and and work. It's like just from like a professional standpoint of like, being dropped into a universe and making it all your own like every comic creator kind of has to do that Mm -hmm. you know alan moore did it with swamp thing warren ellis kind of does that kind of batman re, or sorry grant morrison re-looked at batman Mm -hmm. as every day like just from the tech standpoint of like giving yourself a reset is such an ingenious way to do it um
0: yeah yeah i couldn't agree more and i'm so like you know six months ago or whatever when we found out this was happening it was like yeah it's gonna be an X-Men book yeah. and your quote of just like yeah but how much do any of his books feel like you know how much does Avengers run feel like an Avengers run like this is just yeah a big Hickman book at this point point. and I wanted to say and got derailed immediately but in his response to the um, plagiarism things I just I also wanted to say that him as a man I love that the end of all of his sort of like he never like gets defensive And then he just says, like, and then also, for anybody who has not read that book by that woman, you need, like, the 15 lines of, go read it, because it's a fantastic book. Like, he just, he is, like, honorable through and through. Like, he doesn't get defensive. He doesn't throw her under the bus. He says, this is a bummer. I'm not perfect. Everyone steals from stuff. Here's instances of me doing that. And this is all for the plot. Have faith in it. And go read that book, because if you like my book, you're going to like that. Right. Just, like, class act.
1: And as well, it kind of proves this point, like, execution of ideas can be trademarked, but, like, ideas, like, reincarnation. You can't trademark reincarnation and, like, multiple reincarnations in a single life. Like, I've seen that other places, you know, like, it's kind of saying that Donnie Darko is the only bifurcating
0: time movie, like, You know, I mean, it's as basic as like people could be saying like he ripped off Groundhog's Day. Right. It's the exact same thing except for one day a lifespan. Like right. To 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 say that anything is less because there's an idea in it that's been you know like I don't think right. That's like saying
1: Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind got ripped off, or the person who did the Fifteen Lives book ripped off Eternal Sunshine because you see variants of these people through different time frames. Cloud Atlas, that Netflix show that I just watched late to the party, Maniacs, is all these like bifurcating stories and fantasies of one single life. Like the idea of multiple lives lived that you're not experiencing is not an idea like that's a a very old idea. (laughs) Like so um and while there are a lot of parallels, there like, yeah, you can it's the same basic idea and you know, it looks very similar, but in what I was trying to say is, in the context of the story, what he's trying to do, what he kind of has to do with rebuilding all the continuity through these multiple lives, like he's kind of limited... I don't know, I think it's ingenious that he used that same 15... Like, reincarnation within a multiple lifetime... Or one lifetime, or one person. I think the genius of it is that he used that idea... In order to clean up a con, like as mm-hmm. a, a way to clean the continuity, but like given the context of the entire story and what he has to be given, of course it's going to look the same. Like he's he has all these other seeds going, right? And he's redoing this entire history by, and he needs to have one through line of narrative. Of course it's going to be a single person with all these different lives. Like I don't think that that's directly taking from the book, even if he read the book and was inspired of right. by it. Like the whole story is a completely different thing and he's limited like he has to tell this super big story and you need some kind of way to ground that and it's like through a single protagonist right like, that's not yeah. yeah
0: it's uh it it's a shame that that is a people thing that people need to to bring up um right gosh well that's the first five issues of House right. of x and powers of 10 we don't know for sure what's going on and i love that because mostly stories uh, are very similar in a lot of different ways you it's easy to feel like you know what's going on in a thing and i just don't have that here in in the best possible way hickman
1: stuff allows you to wildly speculate yeah exactly i as someone who's read comic books a lot and i'm trying to do this without seeming like a dick but like And knowing the industry, being part of the industry also kind of stales your eyes Yeah, to knowing that nothing really matters in comics. Even if you're invested in the character, Right. like I have, and we all do here, we have the benefit but also the curse of reading comic books and seeing the the cyclic nature of it. But also working in comic books and seeing how deaths and rebirths and relaunches and all that stuff is all a way to drive money. Mm Mm-hmm when you see something in a comic for me it's hard not to get that stale air in my mouth like oh this doesn't matter this is just one run this just one day you know charles xavier will be back right one day superman will be back one day batman will come back from time and be there like it is very easy from a reader standpoint and from uh, like a marketing, living, working in the industry standpoint to know that it's all intangible. And this is the the very first time in a long time that I've felt genuinely surprised and feel what it was like to read comics as a little kid where there was just unlimited mm-hmm. possibilities and I wasn't reminded of like, oh, you know, can Spider-Man actually come back from the dead? Like I'm, that like ignorance is bliss has been given back to me right. where <laughs> I really have no idea what's going on Um, and it's not like I'm always able, like, I bet you I'm going to be totally wrong with this book. I'm not saying that I can predict a book super, like every book super easily, but there is a predictable nature to reading comics. If you do it long enough, right? especially the big two, like, you know, that ultimately they need to make more money. So Bruce Wayne will come back or, you know, uh, so this, this feels like, because there's such far, far reaching implications that are more than just an X-Men book. Right. It's like I don't know, it's I feel like I'm in the middle of a spider's web and it feels good <laughs> for the first time, you know. I'm like, fuck, there's so much going on more than just this, you know,
0: needing an X-Men relaunch. Um so people should all read this. I don't right. know if it is clear or not, but we're we're very enthusiastic. I, you know, we both love comics and yeah, there's an amount of jaded, but I you know, we're also both still Every week I'm able to still be really excited about anything that happens, even in those cyclical stories. But this is uh, the cream of the crop, and it is the the most I've loved a comic coming out in a long time. So if you are curious on the exact plot beats of these, pick up the issues, come in and ask us. Uh, and this is just sort of us figuring it all out. The live podcast is the week of the final issue of House of X, and then... It's a couple days before the final issue of this whole thing. So maybe Justin and I will do a 10-minute segment on just, you know, masturbating to X-Men or something. But, uh, but yeah, um, people should all check it out. And thanks for listening to us do this. Justin, do you have any anything else to add in here? Yeah,
1: I just wanted to say, like, thanks for, if anyone does listen to this, like, this is purely to blow off, like, extra pressure cooker steam. To let, like, <laughs> I just have not been able... I have not had a book inspire my imagination so much in a really long time. Like, you know, some people say Hickman lacks a little bit of emotional content. He's too cerebral. You know, I would challenge some parts of that. In just like I have yet this. I asked Jeff to do this because I was just like, I have yet in a long time. I have not read a comic that gets my exact type of imagination going. And like there hasn't been a book that's made me want to write again like this one like i just was like man because stories can be unlimited and huge and big so i just like it's good to have because yeah i don't want to tell everyone about this proselytize about (laughs) it too much and silence other people by just being like it's the best thing so this being a good space to let off some of that extra steam because i like i read it excitedly the night it comes out and then the next day i don't read it and then i have a day off the next day and my f- every every thursday i've gotten up in the morning and did a slow read of this like i do a fast read to get my like, I do the expect- exact same thing and then i do a slow read and like i have not enjoyed a comic of this caliber in a really long time and i haven't loved a comic as much as i love this one and like when you have that kind of comic you just want to talk about it and think about it as much as you as you can and this book is an easy book to live inside and kind of get lost in the beauty of it
0: i would say every issue is a 10 for me yeah
1: oh yeah i forgot i was gonna go which is crazy just putting the 10s out right here the 10 the the big old 10 dong has been on the table the whole time
0: Yeah, so come in and check it out. Uh, If you don't like this, we don't really want to hear that. (laughs) Which is great. I know this book is not for everybody. Um, We try to not rain on other people's parades. Right. Don't rain on our parade. Yeah. This is uh, the most joy I've had reading comics in a long time. And And I I totally get if it's not your thing. Yeah. Oh, I. I, It is the most like a college textbook a, a Marvel comic has been in ever. So I get that that is not everyone's picture of. You know, entertainment.
1: Yeah, you don't want to feel like you're taking in data when you're reading a book or story sometimes. But damn I it, do. I do. <laughs> yeah, I do.
0: Um, Alright, Justin, thanks a ton. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Uh, we'll see all y'all very soon.